Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Mining Your Business podcast, a show all about process mining, data science, and advanced business analytics. This is a first for us, first time recording in real life. The session is live. I can see Jakub face to face. How does it feel? Um, fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so enthusiastic. Joining us today is Andres Simoes, an expert in continuous improvement topics and a part of my family. Let's get into it. Hello, everyone. Today's episode is very special for many, many reasons. Why, are you asking? Well, for one, we are, for the first time ever, recording face-to-face -face interview with all of us. That means myself, Patrick, and also our guest in one room. Exciting stuff. Exciting stuff, Patrick. We don't have to do the hand signals anymore. Exactly. <laughs> no, this is really, really cool. And uh, I'm really enjoying it uh, because, you know, when recording podcasts remotely, you just have this... Um, you just like this uh, this face uh, expressions of other people, and you can just have the proper speed. But uh, when you sit next to me, well, yeah. pretty pretty nice. I can punch you if you say something stupid. <laughs> well, I'll try not to. <laughs> um, you know, and with our today's guest, and also with Patrick, we meet in uh, in the center of a beautiful Prague, my my home city, uh, in a recording studio just across the street from our process and or check process and office. And uh, as I said, very special for me uh, and. Uh, I mean, I do miss my home studio a little bit with the blanket and, and, the your towel, towel, yeah. and my towel that I always put uh, around the mic so that the, the sound conditions are a little bit better than usual. But I have to say this face-to-face uh, -face recording is really nice. So, Patrick, maybe we should do it soon again. Oh, yeah, I am very much done. Hell yeah. Um, and second, well, we have a guest on the show who is um, not very unknown to us, or at least to Patrick. Um, please welcome Andre Simoes, uh, Senior Lead in Process Performance and Continuous Improvement at a major pharma company. And also, well, Patrick's uh, brother-in-law. Uh, Andre, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Um, guys, tell me, uh, when you have a family dinner, um, do you talk uh, business processes and uh, data analytics together? <laughs> Surprisingly, a lot of the time, yes. <laughs> Maybe I disconnect at that time. <laughs> <laughs> um, Andres, so um, you are working as a senior lead in a process performance and continuous improvement. Mm -hmm. Could you tell us a little bit about the role and what does it actually mean? Mm -hmm. So, uh, in a nutshell, the process performance and continuous improvement role, essentially, I'm a consultant uh, of continuous improvement mm -hmm. for my stakeholders. So, currently in this pharmaceutical company, Uh, dedicated to finance, and what I mean by consultant is essentially I partner with my stakeholders to understand any issues that they might be facing within their processes or any specific goals that they have. Then I pick up what's usually a more vague problem statement into a defined problem statement, and uh, then I also organize like a specific method on how you get from whatever your current state is to that desired future state. So to do that, I essentially do my homework. So I go investigate with the experts, as might be necessary, or look up any process maps that might exist, work instructions, or any data that we might be able to collect. To better understand that, then I just execute workshops on determining well, what are the root causes to those issues and what the, our solutions should be going forward. But that would be like the core aspect of my role from a project perspective. But otherwise... And typically what you encounter in continuous improvement, there's also a lot of coaching and a lot of which in my job title would be the performance management part. 
setting up of KPIs, and ultimately establishing frameworks or methods within the teams where they have the own tools to identify performance trends if something's going in an undesirable way and what they should do about it. Mm-hmm. And also idea and issue management processes. Um, I was going to ask, so you go from place to place, department to department, and they come to you with some sort of, um, this is where we or this is where we want to get to in X amount of time, and this is the problems we're facing. And then it's your job to figure out, okay, here's where we are, this is how we're going to get there, and this is how we're going to do it. That's not exactly how it works. I'd say that in an um, ideal state, you'd have um, like specific process monitoring in place that would then become a trigger for where you should investigate. Right. But what really happens in practical terms uh, at my current employer and previous it's more like what topic is burning today. Okay. <laughs> and then based on that, you take the initiative to actually try to get it solved. Okay. And how long does that last? Like how do you go from place to place every two months, two weeks, or how long do you stay in one place and solve the their problems? Uh, it depends. It so depends. tell us an example, for instance, like how would it look like in real life? So um, a typical project, how does it even look like? So a typical Typical project would be, let's say, around quality, cost, and service. Those would be like the key, uh, the key metrics. Mm-hmm. And the time that it actually takes to complete it is very variable. Like I can't give you a straight answer on that because it varies according to the scope and the complexity, and even how fragmented the process might be today. So how or the degree to which there is a lack of standardization. So it can vary from place to place. Some places yeah, have, have some every things in a row, and it's super easy. And some places need a lot of pre-work from from your side to to even start. Yeah, it depends on the scope. Mm. That is highly variable. Like uh, something that would be more simple, perhaps. I don't know. Maybe you just need to connect with one or two experts, and it's relatively quick. Mm-hmm. Um, if something's a larger scope, as projects that I've had that I've touched, like. What five hundred end users, for instance, that, and oh, well. going through twelve departments that will take much more time. Yeah. <laughs> what type of project do you like doing more? Like the simple ones where you talk to maybe two, three people, or the ones that have a have a much larger impact. So, within a continuous improvement role, so there's the part that will be the project delivery, mm-hmm. and then, as I mentioned, the coaching part. So essentially, you're developing capabilities within the team. Mm. Okay. And in an ideal scenario, what you have is like a essentially a segmentation, anything that would be more simple, you coach people to solve them on their own, and if something is more complex or larger scale, well then that would make more sense to have like somebody in a continuous improvement project manager capacity to address that. Mm-hmm. Andrea, taking a little step back, um, what even brought you to this role? Where did you start it? Are you, and maybe a question also, I know that a lot of um, young people who may be aspiring for a role in either process mining companies or this overall um, improvement uh, roles of uh, processes are aspiring for. Um, did you start like with an engineering background? Did you start with a business school? How did you, and how did you then progress through the career to get where you are right now? I actually studied economics. Okay. Um, I do see some applications of economics to my current role, um, especially, I'd say that, for instance, my degree 
provided more of a mindset rather than a direct application of mm-hmm. the things that I mm-hmm. learned in my degree to mm-hmm. perform my tasks or my deliverables today. And what I mean by that specifically is that essentially it provided me that mindset of anything that occurs within society, the economy, or mm-hmm. business specifically can be quantified, is measurable, and then based on that, you can perform a more adequate analysis to understand what the correct course of action should be. Uh, so that's the education to uh, how that is applicable to my current role. But how I actually started, so I guess if somebody is listening to this right now, well, at least you already have a benefit that I didn't have that you're hearing that a role in continuous improvement exists because that's not something that I had. It's like our beginnings when yeah. we were mm-hmm. joining uh, Process Mining Group and we were like, oh, what is Process Mining? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sounds fun though, let's do it. Um, so I started off again in finance in an accounts receivable role and I was part of a project transition um, from North America to here in Prague. Mm-hmm. And of course, with that transition, so I had to go over to the States to, um, well, essentially map out the processes, understand how it's done today so we can keep on doing it here. Then while doing that, uh, I connected with continuous improvement people. And I, I guess I always had like kind of that mindset of trying to change things just because they didn't make sense to me. Like they seemed yeah. overall inefficient. Again, I didn't know that that could be a full-time job. <laughs> um, and that's essentially how it started to leading to where I am today. So, But anyway, after that, uh, to, con- uh, to continue through the timeline, uh, so yeah, that accounts receivable role, which kind of showed also my leadership, the aptitude that I had for processes mm-hmm. and for like structured thinking. Based on that, I then became a lean continuous improvement expert for that department specifically. Then, again, through <laughs> going through each of the steps. Um, given what I'd done there, I was invited to the global continuous improvement team. And the thinking was that, well, if I can perform it within that department, I can teach others how to do it as well. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. And then I wanted a more project-based role, which is similar to what I have today, and therefore I kept on changing. So ultimately, my <clears throat> from the start, my scope has been increasing, and with that complexity, um, the seniority of stakeholders that I engage with, so, right. yeah, over time. Right. Um, I guess that uh, also some patterns were repeating as you were changing companies, and there, you know, you just figure out, okay, the same, well, different company, same problems, <laughs> new yeah. day, let's start over, right? <laughs> the the fundamentals of continuous improvement or what you need to have in the back of your head doesn't change, uh, be it yeah. different companies or different processes. You want to ensure that you, for instance, minimize the amount of exception paths. So mm-hmm. you want to eliminate the cost of poor quality. You want to be able to I don't know, make overall the process more efficient, so a better allocation of your resources. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to have low inventories. You want to have quicker lead times or tack times yeah. and mm-hmm. cycle times. So ultimately, and the way to do it, like you don't really need to be a process expert like once you start mapping it out or once you see the process as it is and where the different 
the, the indicators that you might have for each of those process steps, it will kind of already tell you, all right, I should look in that area or the other. So the fundamentals, again, from company to company, it doesn't change because the fundamentals don't change. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder what kind of a skill set that you had to develop over the years to even be uh, able to to execute the, the job that you're doing now. I know you already mentioned this uh, lean thing, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm sure that there is also a bunch of other approaches that you have to uh, apply why, uh, while achieving the goals, which ultimately is making your process more uh, or improve it and make it more efficient. Ultimately, it's it's always what is the current state, what's the desired future state, mm-hmm. figure out the reasons for the gaps and figure out how to close those gaps. I always follow a DMake approach, so define, measure, analyze, improve, and control mm-hmm. for all of my projects. Then when it comes to actual solution implementation, that's a mix of waterfall and agile pretty much, but it really depends on the nature of the project and what your objective is. If it requires like a a big bang all solutions at once, or if it makes sense to, all right, so we release a little bit, test it, and continue for it. And especially if you can already start realizing benefits without having the whole package, well, then you do like a phase release of your solutions or phased implementation of your solutions. Can we um, ask you to kind of tell us in a few sentences like what the continuous improvement actually is? Because I don't think we've mentioned it yet. (laughs) In a nutshell, it's a mindset. Yeah, describe it as a mindset. And the mindset is to actively pursue incremental improvements in your product, service, or process that then well benefits your stakeholders and your customers. And also being able to, or you should also realize that it's kind of like you have you have the, or you want to achieve perfection, although you must understand that you'll never achieve it. So you really need like to focus on these incremental improvements incremental right. changes mm-hmm. as technology changes as uh, customer requirements change as all of that change you will always have incremental improvements so it's a continuous cycle mm-hmm. now <clears throat> continuous improvement so I describe it as a mindset but then with that mindset comes a series of tools as you guys have probably heard of like Lean Six Sigma and mm-hmm. DMake, PDCA all that stuff but okay. essentially, those are tools for you to execute upon your um, or to realize improvements. Mm. No, I mean that was a lot of acronyms. A lot of those that I didn't get. I, I guess I still have a <laughs> we lot. We swear more. to God, uh, it wasn't for Wikipedia. It was actually uh, from top of the mind. <laughs> yeah, you could have mentioned anything, and I would have said, "Oh, that's that sounds interesting." Okay, A B C D is also very good. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> X Y Z, fantastic. Mm. Mm. So you have mentioned that we have a new technologies and, and, and things like that introducing. You've been in this um, field for quite some time. Mm-hmm. How have you seen, have you seen anything dramatic change in your field specifically to introduction of new technologies? And how does that impact the, the work that you do? Have I, can you repeat that? Yeah, so, I, don't, I don't see what you mean. So we have new technologies that are introduced in the field of um, process uh, management and all these things. Mm-hmm. And um, how do these new technologies um, impact the way that you approach your work? 
Does that change okay. at all? Does that have no effect at all? So you also mentioned, and uh, I must say that was very frustrating to hear that uh, the continuous improvement is kind of a journey that never ends, that it's always a cycle. You mm -hmm. know, you have new processes, you have new ways mm -hmm. of working, you have new tools, uh, be it for actual production or, you know, creating value for your customers, but also tools to create value for your company, to, yeah. you know, manage the processes. So. Um, so what I meant by new requirements and new technologies coming meaning that you will have tougher and tougher targets. That's essentially what I mean. That some when something new is introduced, perhaps the previous level at which you're operating compared to whatever benchmarks you might compare yourself to no longer are adequate and you need actually tougher targets to try to achieve. That's what I meant by that. But in terms of tools for me to use in the execution of my deliverables, um I don't know if it's something that is really new or if I just wasn't aware of it. I've seen a lot of process modeling tools, mm -hmm. which are interesting. Mm -hmm. And of course, what you guys work with, I must say that I haven't used it that much. Uh, so bonus. Mm -hmm. And right. I see a, a lot of potential um, there. I've used it mostly for like dashboard creations. I've seen like the, the possibilities of ultimately having like maps and how the information or how the process actually flows within, mm -hmm. each, within each of the steps. I haven't actually had a project with the scope that I would use that yet. Mm -hmm. But yes, I have seen some changes. Because it's very interesting. You mentioned that you have your, your process steps and you have the activities and you have the KPIs defined on every single one of these process steps. You were talking mm -hmm. about throughput times, cycle times, and all these things. All these things that um, everybody from the process mining space is very familiar with, mm -hmm. intimately familiar with mm -hmm. in, uh, in optimizing these things. So that I feel like there's a, a very big um, overlap in, in, in continuous improvement and the process mining approach. Yeah, yeah. So, and, guys, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, my, my understanding of the process mining itself, if I were to define it, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, it is essentially connecting through an IT method, whatever ERPs you have to this process mining tool that ultimately gives you a picture of what's actually going on. Correct, yes. Yeah. Is that the correct definition? Yes. Okay. So... The way the connection that I'd see is the output of your work gives very good or can give very good insights to somebody performing my type of work mm -hmm. or for other types of work. Yeah. Because, for instance, if as I was mentioning, like if I if I have a project and I need to ultimately understand what's really going on mm -hmm. and what the what the how big of a problem it actually is and where it might actually be occurring. Now. What I've done in the past is, for instance, I sit next to people mm. and I'm taking notes. All right, they went to this, then they did this. So essentially, okay. I'm actually a big brother creating. <laughs> yes. Well, there are two ways of doing that. You either, well, without process mining, that is, um, you sit next to them or you just have a workshop setting and then we just yeah. brainstorm what those steps actually are. Now, the issue that might lie there is, well, people have their impressions or perhaps they're also even performing a little bit differently because you're sitting next to them. Right. Then also, you can have a big lack of data and for that, you're going to base your, um, you're going to have a lot of assumptions. Mm. So you're going to base, all right, uh, this is the issue within the process given the estimates provided by this person. 
Sometimes you might have a report that gives you like a better, um, what's the word, like a segmentation of, uh, of where the issues might be occurring. But best case scenario, fact-based, I, I guess that I, I wouldn't say that anything or very few things would be like 100% accurate, but of course the, the process mining method would be closer to 100 than some guy telling me, oh, well, this happened last week, that's 5%. So, yeah. So it's a much more fact-based approach. And of course, that with that, or with the, with the possibilities that process mining brings, it also avoids the risk that you actually go down the wrong path and yep. you're going through all this work, right. through all these workshops, you're perhaps even providing a solution that doesn't really fit mm -hmm. just because you looked at the wrong area. Yeah. Because you didn't have those insights. It's uh, one of these, one of the biggest revelations for both myself and Patrick while doing the podcast, uh, realizing how um, bigger the whole discipline is of business process management and, you know, continuous improvement belongs in this category because that's like an overarching thing. And process mining is just one of the tools that helps you ultimately creating lean processes. Mm -hmm. And uh, we also came to realize how important it is to have a person such as yourself who uh, ultimately uh, drives these initiatives and can organize and orchestrate the tools that are available for the company under one roof into... Uh, I would say almost like a choir that just like works and sings together in uh, improving the processes. A choir, okay, that one's new. Uh, Where'd you pick new. that one up? <laughs> I'd say that um, yes, uh, agree with you. But um, one thing I'd add is the tools themselves won't fix the problem. They're yeah. just going to tell you where they are. So you need the correct mindset, the correct behavior, and you actually need to allocate resources to investigating that. Like I have seen, um, not to mention specifics, but I have seen uh, places where similar efforts were initiated. And it's kind of like it's sold like, oh, look at this fancy new tool that we have. And perhaps from a management perspective, okay, this is great, we're going in the right direction, but then there isn't the time commitment. Of, like you have people that already have their day-to-day -day jobs that might already yeah. be stretched, and mm -hmm. now you're putting something additional. So you really need to, other than a tool for show, you actually need to commit and allocate the resources to actually do something about it. Yeah, You're like the fifth person on the show that has mentioned the exact same point, and I wonder why people still fail to see the importance of allocating the resources to be able to adopt these these new things that you want to push. So, Andre, um, could you tell us about some some specific example uh, of what are you, for instance, uh, like tackling while working on a continuous improvement uh, project? So you want examples of yeah, problems like, which have been solved? Exactly, some problem in a business that you're trying to solve and then how are you approaching, what are the different steps of such a project and stuff? <laughs> so, as, as, I, as I mentioned earlier, so my steps to solve a problem is that D-make again. So define the problem, measure it, um, analyze it or measure it, which would include uh, validating what's actually out there, so what the actual current state is. Uh, analyze it, so establish the root causes, improve, brainstorm the solutions, control, implement. So implement the solutions and see if there are any deviations or if you need any other corrective actions. Um, so those would be the steps. The type of problems. Um, let me think. I've had. 
costs generated with external providers. I've had um, input quality issues, which then have, of course, a, well, if you receive bad input, yeah. then essentially you're just putting more workload on the team that has to process it, yeah. mm-hmm. right? Because they need to correct it, and the overall end-to-end time will be longer. So, um, Andre, uh, yeah. essentially, um, what I also noticed on your on your profile is that you also um, try or work a lot with uh, KPIs and uh, KPI management in a general, mm-hmm. which is also a very interesting topic because sometimes, especially in our line of work where we are basically implementing new KPIs, mm-hmm. um, it's not only that we are introducing some whole new measurements on the process which were never seen before, be it automation, be it the rework rate, and so on and so forth, Again, process mining audience pretty much familiar with these terms. However, sometimes we are introducing KPIs that uh, have been there before. Uh, mm-hmm. A typical example would be on-time payment, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so every company have already these uh, uh, KPIs, and then we just uh, rebuild something new with uh, different data or same data, but maybe different scope, maybe mm-hmm. different data types, and so on. And suddenly we have uh, we have uh, this this overview where you just see different numbers, which can be you're lucky like uh, by 1% different but if you're unlucky it can be uh, dozens of percents and they're like okay well um, which number uh, should I even take into account and uh, my question for you is um, how much data driven uh, is the continuous improvement Mm -hmm. and have you also encountered these issues where you are trying to um, improve your process based on numbers and then you just have all kind of numbers and you have to kind of figure out what to do with it. So uh, continuous improvement in general, specifically always tries to be as data-driven as possible Mm -hmm. with specific emphasis in the as possible because Mm -hmm. you don't always have that data. Um, Then the the second part of your question was around... um, uh, data quality, yeah, like output yeah. data. Yes, it happens, and it is a problem. The only way I've seen to tackle it is that you have to have a very clear operational definition of what that metric should actually be, how it's calculated, and ensure that the methods of calculation are the same to what you're comparing yourself to. Mm. So, for instance, in my type of environment, I'll have let's call them team ABC. Mm-hmm. They are measured upon one KPI and we're comparing them to, let's say that we identified a best practice. So this in Europe, we identified a best practice, let's say in Asia. Well, in Asia, it takes them this amount of time or this is what their output actually is. Um, so overall, it seems like a better process, so let's try to copy them. Yeah. But then when you go to the actual Comparison according to your calculation, well, that was time spent because there's just lacking in operational definition. So I'd be very careful with that. A very clear operational definition of what the metric measures, how it's calculated, what are the sources, and very importantly, what are the exclusions and if there should be any. Yeah. But that needs to be like a standard. Is that sometimes difficult to find? Because I know we, when we chase KPIs, and how does this define? You you mentioned this KPI, and we go and find the people that would know how to calculate it. Um, sometimes those people just don't exist, right? So, or maybe there used to be some definition twenty years ago that was written down on some mm-hmm. piece of notepad. So, uh, so, in in your experience, is finding the 
this um, rigorous definition of a KPI an easy feat for you, or is that uh, is this one of the bigger op obstacles that you face? It's easy to identify it. It's more difficult to reach an agreement. Um, at least in my type of environment for larger companies, there are usually specific reporting people or global process owners that you can connect with directly mm. uh, in terms of definition. But then when you go try to cascade it down to a regional or a country level, then they might have like their different interpretations of, oh, but I want to exclude this because this is the reality in my country, whatever it is. So that is uh, that like the... Obtaining the general agreement sometimes can be a challenge. Sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, are you also sometimes um, being put into position where you have to design your own KPI for the sake of your project? Yeah. 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 Um, so, uh, when delivering a continuous improvement project, you will, or you should always create a project charter, and then based on that, you'll have primary and secondary metrics. Mm -hmm. Primary metric, and then, so you define those metrics, and then you consult them with your sponsor to reach an agreement of what the target should be. So you have your baseline value. Mm -hmm. If you have that data available, you look like six months to a year back in time, you average it out if you're not tackling variation with your project, but you just create an average, or right, this is my baseline value, right? What do you want to see? 10, 20, 30, 40, whatever it is, percentage improvement. Yeah. And then you act upon that. Sometimes it is, there are project metrics that are available in the existing reporting, mm -hmm. but not always. That I could say that typically within my experience in the type of companies that I work with, they do exist. Because okay. like one thing with big companies is that you'll have a lot of reporting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and um, then when you are designing these KPIs, I think you mentioned it, but then obviously you also consulted with uh, the supervisors or the people who are eventually responsible for that part of the process that mm -hmm. you're trying to improve. So yep. it's not like your internal number. If I do, if I spend 20 hours on this, this is my uh, ba uh, base, uh, baseline <laughs> audit good. <laughs> um, so is, is your question, like I come and recommend metrics versus yeah, try to hear of, what they're saying? Exactly. I, I do recommend them, but ultimately like when defining, defining KPIs and not only from a, project perspective um, like as I mentioned when we started uh, another area of my work is to um, like uh, create dashboards and then coach teams on how to action upon what they're seeing mm -hmm, mm -hmm. well then the first part is that of course you actually need to identify which metrics you should measure yeah. um, I will have my opinion uh, but it comes through the conversation what I do is I get people in um, in a room and it's a workshop setting and ultimately what do you think is critical to quality for your uh, customers mm -hmm. and then well based on that let's try to drive the metric mm -hmm. uh, I want all payments done on time picking up your example from earlier well payments on time there's one of them and then you already come up with the operational definitions right. and all that it should I'd always recommend doing that in a workshop setting. Um, yeah. yeah. And then try to reach agreement there. But so, yeah, you look at critical to customer, critical to business, and in advance. But again, this again with, uh, with the hierarchies and the companies that I uh, work in, 
I always connect like with again the global process owners. All right, what would you like to see? And then also very, uh, and that is considered. It doesn't mean that it's mandatory that it will be there, but that is considered. And also, you need to think about again, depending on the company. Uh, company they might be comparing themselves to external benchmarks, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and well done. That might be something that you want to look at too, right? Yeah. Um, this actually brings me to an interesting question, and that is once you start developing KPIs, you kind of also have to look for a tool where you're reporting them. Mm-hmm. Um, do you also have some diagrams or um, uh, some way on how to approach this and what kind of a tool to, to, to decide to work with? So you mean, when you talk about tools, you mean the Technology that exactly. actually delivers a KPI. Exactly, because I know that the stacks of apps that the companies. I'm not a technical person. I'm not a technical person. But I mean, so I'm more working on the definition and perhaps even the project management of their implementation. But frankly, I haven't had like I don't have a personal preference for one versus the other. It's more when talking to technical people they'll see what is feasible given what the metric actually is and where they have the data connection to that multiple to mm-hmm. those tools because for instance I've had um I've had um yeah, perhaps at the start of this year um implemented one of those KPI review methodology frameworks in one team that well part of their data is already connected to and available in one platform, but the other part is only available on Solanus. So, right, mm-hmm. so we mix and match. That's it. Like you work with whatever you have. So I'm I'm wondering what the the definition of success is for one of these. Um, I mean I know you have your your targets, you wanna increase paid invoices on time from what, like eighty percent to ninety percent or something, you fix a target and you say you give yourself some sort of time frame, six months, year where we want to achieve this goal. Mm-hmm. Now, is there? Do you are you part of the reviews of these um, KPIs? Do you take part in? Okay, you've implemented. You you mapped everything. Do you ever go back and see? Have we actually achieved it? Should we review it somehow? Is was our definition perhaps wrong? Did we do something? If we didn't make it, or did we overachieve? Like, what's the what does the plan look like for six months, one year down the road, depending? It depends. Uh, if you're talking about a project that a continuous improvement person would be leading in speaking in very basic terms, something was broken. You went and organized the whole thing until it got fixed. You need to have an exit strategy or else you're just going to be controlling projects that you already completed. Typically six months. Mm-hmm. And then after that, like you have a full handover to operations. Um, but when it comes to that KPI methodology part, from my experience, it is usually part of the continuous improvement role mm-hmm. in a sense that, yes, you you establish those controls and you do continuously come with the teams, make sure that they're looking in the right areas. I used to do that, but um, it's not my favorite part about my work. <laughs> <laughs> I, I prefer to fix or implement something and then move on to the next step. <laughs> and you don't deal with the consequences like who knows uh, no, if it goes up or you down. Will, no, you will deal with the consequences for some uh, for some period of time, mm. right? Because it is part of your scope and you have um, like a pre-agreed timeline for that handover. But like we're, uh, I don't know if the distinction I'm trying to make is clear. Like 
from a project perspective is one thing. From a um, coaching or implementing KPIs, operational KPIs for the teams, which you coach them to review and how to solve, that might be something a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that if the implementation of the latter, not the project, is um, is successful, they should become self sufficient, right? And also, it is very important that the senior leader, leaders, sorry, um, within those teams, all actually feel that their team is accountable for the performance of that KPI. Mm. It shouldn't, from my personal perspective, it shouldn't fall within like a external per se auditor to come check. Mm. Are you guys actually actioning upon this? No, you own this. It's for you. In my role. I provide the insights, the tools, the method, but now it's up to you to perform it. Right, so regardless of if the KPIs that they want to improve goes up or goes down, at the end of the day, they have the tools, they know how to steer their their KPI in the best way to actually get to the place where they want to go. Yes, and through through the implementations of that type of work that I have done more recently, I actually did report out on one recently, and we saw compared to baseline improvements of anywhere between 10 and 60%. Mm. Wait, wait, wait! None of them got worse. Nice. That's great. Yeah. Um, if they get worse, then uh, it's under again to the show a year later. Let's go, guys! Again, <laughs> let's start over. <laughs> but, uh, but then again, it's like there are always. It's difficult to assess, like what, or the the variance that you see within the after the implementation of that type of method or with that KPI review what it is that you can actually attribute to, let's say, a failure of what you implemented versus something new that happened. Right. Right? Like you can't keep everything constant. So a lot of it is just like a qualitative feedback rather than numbers-based. All right, speak to the senior leader, speak to the people. Mm -hmm. How do you feel this has been going? But in that example, as I've mentioned to you, you do see KPI improvements. Okay. Now, do you when you come into these new projects, you must have some sort of gut feeling that when you come into it, where you already kind of know this is going to end well. Like these are the signs that I know. Okay, this is probably going to go well. In six months, they're going to be where they want to be. But also, the corollary must be true that you can come into some sort of project and you say, okay, not prepared, or this isn't happening, they didn't meet this requirement, or they're not ready for this and this, so this project is probably not going to be in the place where they see it in six months. Um, What are some of the big pitfalls that you see, or the things to avoid, um, in your opinion, that make the former rather than the latter example true? Hmm. As somebody that acts as a project manager, uh, essentially in that type of scenario, always ensure that roles and responsibilities are very clearly defined Mm -hmm. and agreed upon and that you actually have more or less a good idea of what the time requirements are and also what the actual expectations are. Make sure that that is very well documented cascaded, and agreed upon. And what are some of the markers that you know it's going to be good? Is that just the opposite? And if everyone's super prepared, everyone is on board, everyone from management all the way to the 
business users at some point, everyone knows what we're trying to do here in this project. It's not like the 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 marker for it going well. If if you if you are if you are the project manager in this in this sense, it's your job to get them prepared. Mm. Like if you want to introduce a change, you have to do some convincing. I don't mean like walking there and like holding their hand through the whole way, but you have to do some convincing. Mm-hmm. Some evangelism of some sort. Yeah, you can call it that, I guess. <laughs> we like calling it. Yeah, we, we, we do. <laughs> <laughs> um, Andrea, you also mentioned that one of the things that you are um, lear- or teaching the business users is how to read the KPIs and how to react on them. Mm-hmm. Um, how does that look like? Like, what do you actually teach them? Do you teach them who, do sh- who should they report to or how they do should actually do their job? The analysis itself, so um, ultimately... Again, this is different from the from the project part, but more the methodology implementation part. Um, it follows a standard. That standard is performance metric with year to date results or the rolling twelve month, where you see the variation is for a specific period, mm-hmm. typically within a month, and then followed by that, what you have is a Pareto breakdown. Right. So, what are Okay. <laughs> They said yes. Um, and essentially the coaching part comes down to making them or or getting the teams to, to understand the connection between the overall performance within their scope and what the breakdown actually is and where they should be focusing um, their efforts to try to actually improve given the cumulative effect, as you see on the Pareto chart to drive an impact on their overall performance of what's within their scope. That would be one part. Then the second part is you coach the methodology for capturing what we ultimately issue management. So it doesn't really add much value if we meet, I don't know, on a weekly basis or even if it's a daily basis, like the performance KPIs, these were the Pareto's and then like, Okay, so what now? Um, so ultimately what I also do is implement essentially issue trackers where you have, all right, so what's your signal to initiate that issue tracker? All right, something that came from that KPI review, that KPI discussion, or uh, something that I just see on my day-to-day operations that I feel is a, is a problem. Then you have like a discussion amongst the team, and then based on that you decide, well, what the next step should be. Uh, and then that can uh, that can um, then lead to what you'd call like a just do, like something that simple. All right, it's kind of obvious what happened here. Let's all agree on the action and just execute it. Or it could require a bit more of structured problem solving, which is typically coached um, as well. Which, very simply put, what's a problem statement? What's the goal? How to perform a root cause analysis and brainstorm solutions, and then get agreement to execute those solutions. Mm-hmm. Um, do you also uh, create like uh, once you fix the problem some kind of workshops and uh, you know also enforce people to do documentation on how to execute the processes in the right way or how can we imagine that yes the outcomes should be documented yep yeah. if you're changing ways of working definitely um, training proper documentation have it all centralized or stored somewhere mm. another question a bit different um 
So last two or three years were heavily impacted by uh, Corona and a lot of uh, there were generally a lot of changes with mm-hmm. uh, adopting the new ways of working. A lot of people just started working from home way more than than used to. Um, since you already were in the branch for 10 years now or maybe even a little longer, um, did you also see the change in how the processes are now executed and did it bring maybe some new problems, new issues that weren't really a problem before that? Or how it generally impact your work? There was an initial adaptation period because um, I, I guess as, as you guys can imagine, like if, if your work is mostly workshops, it's more challenging let's right, say yeah. until you figure out your method or your rhythm uh, to do everything online rather than have everybody in a room mm. actually before COVID I had already started doing that because I was um, supporting teams in um, in uh, Latin America and yeah. Asia yeah. and all right, for like simple workshops does it doesn't require travel yeah. like just adjust your template book something in Microsoft Teams and do it and yeah, right. yeah there is, was an adaptation phase but yeah it's fine today but definitely uh, as a general comment and what I see uh, at the um, at the company where I work everybody is if anything COVID pushed people to become more digital mm-hmm. and that's a good thing if there is a positive a, a pro of COVID that would be one of them <laughs> Yeah, I remember it was this meme where it was uh, trending when the COVID starts, like who uh, or what pushed your company into being more digital ready. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a CEO, CTO over COVID. Well, obviously COVID. Mm. COVID wins out every time. Um, Andre, what gets you excited about your job these days? Oh, that's a deep question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's Friday. <laughs> <laughs> I need more beer in me. <laughs> um the the thing that sparks me for or that lights up that spark for my role today is the same that made that sparked that light at the at the beginning when i started off in continuous improvement the knowing that i have a current state which isn't ideal um and then performing that investigation and connecting with the different experts to actually understand what's going on and come to realized solutions and get to an improved future state is something that drives me because I like that part of the work. I like the um, the uh, research part, the overall investigation and the connecting with people. I, I like the feeling, or I'd even risk to say I love the feeling of having like that aha moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very nice. We like that too. We, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and especially when it happens in other people. As well, like when you implement uh, something, and then you know they get a view of their KPIs or their process and yep. something, and then like that light bulb, you see it in their eyes happening in real time when they all of a sudden realize what we're looking at, the inefficiencies and all these things. So it's a, uh, I, I cherish those moments. Yeah, yeah. Andrea, nice. uh, wrapping up the episode, where could people uh, get in touch with you or find something more about you? Uh, LinkedIn. At I don't know what the actual LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> we'll definitely tag you. We'll yeah. you. Yeah. So for you, dear listeners, if you want to find something more about Andre, well, we will. Uh, you will just uh, see it in our post on LinkedIn. And uh, Patrick, any last notes? Oh, I have one last note actually, Andrea. Congratulations to a recently uh, newborn uh, child. So thank you very much. Prost, as we would yeah. say in Germany. Prost. Um, 
for our listeners, we actually uh, brought some beer just for this occasion to just mm-hmm. uh, cheer this occasion. So once again, congratulations. Fantastic. Thank you guys. And thank you very much for your, for your time. And it's a nice experience. Nice talking to you. <coughs> Thank it's you for been your time. Uh, very lovely for us as well. Yeah, you know, face-to-face interview. I think it went yeah very well. Gotta get more of those. Um, well, hopefully you also liked it. Um, well, we really enjoyed it, so uh, I hope it's mutual. If you have any questions, you know, just uh, reach out on uh, standard channels. We are very active on LinkedIn. You can also send us an email or mindingyourbusinesspodcast at gmail.com. So if you have any question, if you uh, have any guest of interest that we might not know about and you would like to hear, just send us a recommendation. Um, as usual, we will be looking forward to hear back from you or here, or you will be looking forward to hear back from us in two weeks from now. And uh, yeah, thank you for listening. If you like us, leave us a review on uh, Spotify or Apple Podcasts and talk to you in two weeks. Bye-bye.